Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. I am so blessed to be with you here today and grateful for the time and attention you are choosing to give to this story and to your own healing journey. I hope you are gaining wisdom and insights. Welcome. Today's story gives us a window into how the perception of time can shift dramatically during a crisis and how the experience of trauma can allow the experience of time to contract as well as expand significantly. You might relate to this already, or it may be a new awareness you awaken to. As always, I will be sharing the unedited text from the Friends and Family Update blog I was writing in real time during the months following Archer's injury, as well as personal journal notes and reflections integrating that story with the present seven years later. Our story begins with the new certainty that we would, within weeks, be leaving the Shepherd Center and transferring to another facility, the Kennedy Krieger Institute in Baltimore. Indeed, this next step was imminent. You'll learn of what that means to be caught between medical systems when doctors declare there is no more that can be done. You might also be surprised when I share with you something that happened that was, well, mystical. Did you know our podcast sponsor, the 501c3 nonprofit I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation, is now the Blink of an Eye nonprofit. And they have a launch campaign to raise funds so they can go bedside with SCI families in crisis. You can donate at givebutter.com slash blink of an eye for the HEAL team, bringing hope, empowerment, advocacy, and logistical navigation tips with love to SCI families in crisis. If you are interested in volunteering or becoming part of the Blink of an Eye cutting-edge relational approaches to trauma healing, medical navigation, and emotional and spiritual support for SCI families in crisis, fill out an information form at www.blinkofaneye.org. Follow Blink of an Eye on Instagram and Facebook at Blink of an Eye Nonprofit. Links to these platforms will be in the show notes. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 23, Lessons from Past Traumas, Going Back to Go Forward. We ended our last episode with a new sense of certainty 
about our next step in recovery, plan B, if you will, and a feeling of closure, albeit unwanted, but necessary, that our time at the Shepherd Center was at an end. The day-to-day ups and downs, as well as the underlying frenetic push by Shepherd to get Archer off event and into rehab, seemed to be suspended in some ways as the fog parted as to where we would be going next. We were in agreement Archer would be transferred within weeks, close to our home, to the Kennedy Krieger Institute in Baltimore. It was as if a certain suspension of time was happening. I found my mind and my writing flitting backwards and forwards in time as I searched to find the threads and patterns that had defined my movements up to this point through this crisis. I was filled with sorrow that we had failed at Shepherd, or that Shepherd had failed us, perhaps both, perhaps neither. Regardless, my own coping strategies drew me back to childhood memories, including deep losses around my father's sudden death and other flashback memories of August 5th, the day Archer was injured, a day that both felt like an eternity and a blink in time. Memories flooded me. Sorrowful memories and resiliency memories, and I relied on them all. They reminded me, I have been here before. I never doubted we would make it, whatever came our way. We would carry on. I know now, after all these years of study of trauma and trauma healing and my ongoing work of interpersonal integration, that my multiple experiences in my life of great overwhelming loss and disruption had indeed given me a deep sense of who I was and a deep source of resilience. Those events and lingering emotional memories also gave me much more to sort out and untangle in my own healing process related to this trauma story. We all experience stress, and it's hard to avoid trauma in a lifetime. We do our best in those times. Overwhelming stress and crisis times, traumatic times, flood our bodies with all kinds of chemical reactions tied to our emotions. And we can store parts or all of these physical reactions underground, if you will, for many years in the deep freeze of our cellular structure, in our bones and connective tissue and our internal organs. We can function well in the world on the outside and then wake up with sudden pains in our joints, or even disease. We can also get very touchy, even set off, when a seemingly innocuous stimuli triggers a response that is out of proportion to the presenting event. And on the other hand, we might have learned through trauma how to be cool and calm and rational, 
only to fall apart later. Yes, past feelings of loss, painful anger, only to fall apart later or to get very sick later in our lives. So indeed, the brain can purposefully store away certain memories that were too overwhelming at the time to fully take in or manage. This neuroscientific phenomenon allows us to survive at the time. Because at the time, for whatever reason, young age, fragile health, lack of safety, urgency of circumstance, we were not able to fully process what happened to us, to process the overwhelm to our central nervous systems. This highly intelligent response of our human wiring that causes us to shut down or throws us into a state of hyper-focus or both helps keep us alive. But this intelligent response is only intended for the short term. Like too much of a good thing ain't good. And indeed, too much bypass will have negative consequences to our health long term if we don't return to unpack and digest in increments. And when we are ready, that which was in the deep freeze. And we need to do this because at some point, the stress of keeping our overwhelming life experiences and traumas tamped down or never spoken of or never worked through our bodies will look for a place to reside inside our bodies and potentially kill us. As Dr. Gaber Mate shares in his book, When the Body Says No. And as for time, we know in both noetic science terms and spiritual terms, time is not linear. Even though the two-dimensional way we move through our lives may seem linear. So settle in. Take a deep breath. And allow the tender, vulnerable space that we share today to open up your own sense of possibility and hope in many dimensions of time. Here we go. Personal journal note. Some of the people writing letters to me tell me there are many people reading the updates. I am awed and I'm comforted. We will create the energy field Archer needs to heal. And I will include them in all my updates. Personal journal note. I will miss some of the nurses and RTs here. We sadly don't really have very close relationships with the PT staff. But a couple of the nurses and RTs have been really with us. And I felt it. I'm feeling I can let go some of the anger I have held inside about the others who seem to be just going through the motions. Archer's care suffered. You need an extra set of eyes. You do. And his room 
has been in such disarray when some are just not careful or caring. But I will never forget the ones who are. October 25th, 2015. Family and Friends Update, Day 84. We now have a plan. In just a little over two weeks, Archer will be leaving the staff that is highly trained in ventilators and various breathing and respiratory machines, devices, and techniques. They have been life-sustaining. I want to pause. Please, pause with me a moment. Let us thank all those we rely upon for the basic needs that matter the most to us in our lives, all the caregivers in our lives. We all have some, or at least we had some. And you are probably a caregiver now yourself, whether to your children or to your parents or to a friend in need. Thank yourself or maybe someone will thank you. Maybe we will thank each other. I will thank you. I thank you now. Thank your caregiver day. That's what we're going to call today. What would our world be like if we didn't take care of each other and thank each other and hold each other with such great respect and gratitude, even through the bumps? and workouts. With our various levels of expertise, thinking of ourselves as caregivers for each other, we do our best. We really need each other. Thank you, wonderful caregivers, care providers, and caretakers. Givers and takers. Takers and givers. Both Count your blessings as I count mine to be both different as they may be. Thank you. Thank you, dear God, for our caregivers, especially the good ones. Mike Marshall, Chris Shaw, Rebecca McWalters, Amy Tarnoski. And thank you for the ones who are not so good, who are trying in their own way. And thank you for the ones who put up with us and the burden of caring and providing care day in and day out. We are grateful for our good caregivers at Shepherd. That said, I suppose there is a certain relief that the yo-yo of the last three weeks of stress and Archer's status progress and potential, at least for now, is settled, and the anticipation of going home is beginning to replace that stress. We look forward to Archer's being at Kennedy Krieger Institute, and I wonder, since Archer will be back in Baltimore at KKI, but not yet at home, if I will experience the back-and-forth longing now also for Atlanta, where the Atlanta Archangels are. I may, longing 
<laughs> it's nutty, but I've almost become addicted to the feeling of longing. It's so closely connected and bound up in relationship and love. I have to be discerning about what is healthy as I feel very deeply about people one way or the other. The longing has a physical quality. I felt that achiness in Archer's ICU room in Atlantic City as the calendar told me the summer was ending and Pete and Dewey began preparations to go back to college. Paula back to her admissions job and Dutch back to grade school. Dutch, seventh grade, now five foot eight inches tall as he grew again in August, as all my boys do. Where had my little boy gone? I miss them just at the thought of summer ending. And even though we had spent almost half our summer in an ICU in an unfamiliar city, in a food cooler, cold room, I miss them at the thought of their going. And then, when Archer and I flew to Atlanta, I felt that longing sharply for Baltimore. And here we've been in Atlanta for over two months now, getting ready to leave, and I feel the onset of knowing I will miss our Atlanta archangels and long for the closeness of the daily texts about Archer and food and inspired prayer and coordinated transportation. Oh, I see my pattern. Anticipating. Longing. Missing. It's good to know. I can catch myself in it before I get too wound up in it. And I know from years of work that it comes from the loss of my dad when I was a little girl and the longing to be connected to him, to feel his presence in my life. Do you see any patterns you have? It's really good to see them, I think. Well, this longing pattern of mine the separation theme. Okay, I know, yes, I've had years of good work on it through intuition teaching and Enneagram work and practice with fellow teachers. The best way to do about 10 years worth of sitting on the cushion, as one of my intuition teachers, Helen Palmer, would say, is to sharpen your awareness and self-observe your habits, your habits of mind and heart. I've seen that for years, and I get it, my pattern. It's rooted in a connection to others that also gives me juice and life. It gets snagged, however, from time to time, related to the wounding of when I lost my dad, tragically, in the commercial airplane crash when I was three and a half. Got it. I know that. And it's such a blessing to know that because I can observe myself. And there I am again, can be stopped at the pass, if you will, 
Or if underway, I can become more curious about it than clamping it. It's a big difference. So I have been curious about my yearning and longing pattern. I'm sensing here at Shepherd. I think it's kicking up again. Because I'm afraid of losing something precious again? We so need your prayers. And like so many things, energy can fade and peter out. We need you to consider not petering out on Archer. He needs your collective prayers for the creative miracle. He needs your pausing and breath work. He needs you to marvel at how beautifully you move and walk through your day and send that joy and rejoicing and wonder to Him. That's all. I don't want our move to cause a loss of connection with you, a return to lives where we don't feel this powerful connection through prayer. It's also just a little reminder to myself that with two weeks left here, I know I will have to find a new center, a new rooting, a new nesting once we are uprooted again. Ironically, back to home. If I'm going to live somewhere, I set down roots pretty quickly. It's always been this way for me as long as I can remember. Whether as a small child before grade school days in a make-believe house under a coffee table in the living room or a platform tent for summer camp or a dorm room in college or an apartment or house rented or owned. I am a nester. I like to create warm and cozy places. I feel connection. I want connection. I need connection. I like to create connection around me and for my children and with others. Maybe you're a nester too. If so, let's say hello to all the nesters. I get a kick out of my kids as I see that they are too, as they get older especially. So much of who we are is where we come from. What we have been shown, what has been modeled for us, consciously and subconsciously, and what we want to release and what we want to emulate and take in deeply. In the last two weeks, as we were negotiating a discharge plan, and I would be in Archer's room here in Atlanta, especially at night, when I awakened when I was not otherwise awakened or summoned, I would find my mind really thinking about Dutch and Billy and missing my office. I would then get these twinges of really missing Archer deeply and longing to have him back whole and complete to hear his voice 
to hear his ideas, his wit, his deep philosophical thoughts. It makes me wonder, what might Archer long for? There is a beauty in his youth. As tragic as it is that he is so young and now paralyzed, there is an aspect of his being so young that he might actually be spared some pain. Pain from what he hasn't yet experienced in life that he would have if he were older and therefore does not know. He may thus be spared some achiness in the future of what he might have longed for. That occurs to me, and I'm grateful. I wonder what Archer's heart will desire the most as the years unfold. I think of his future, his friends, his career choices, his love life, his well-being, his maybe future family. I think about so many things here. You want to know something crazy? Back in Atlantic City ICU, an hour after the August 5th midnight neck surgery, when the surgeon was talking to us as a family, I was listening very carefully as he told us what he had done in the operation and that our son had broken his neck at C5 and was a quadriplegic. I'm here to answer any questions you might have, said the doctor. I really only had one question. Will our son be able to have a family? That's all I could think about then. How crazy is that? I can still see and feel the space in that room. I looked around the makeshift circle of chairs at all of our children. There was utter silence. And I repeated my question. Well, will he? I felt this shrill sort of desperation in my voice and then I began on the verge of weeping as if I were beseeching my own children's understanding of something very deep within me, within their mother. I implored the surgeon, will he have the ability to have a family? Will Archer have the use of his arms? Will he be able to hold someone? Hold a baby? Will he ever know the arms of a woman, her softness, and what it is like to be held? Will he? There was dead silence. Will he? 
as I looked around at my children who were just staring at me in that waiting room, I began to cry. And I looked at them and said, it's true. You will know someday the love and the physical ability to hold and be held closely by your love. It's so very important to the body and to the warmth of the soul. I want that for all of you. I want that for Archer. I looked at the surgeon. Will he? I remember that moment, that space, so vividly. As I just wonder now about what Shepard said about Archer plateauing. Archer's future. In that space, everything was suspended. Time stood still. All that mattered to me was whether Archer would have the ability to have a family. As the love from a family and children is the most essential part of living that I know. I had an opportunity to connect with Dr. Chris Radcliffe, one of the top spinal cord injury surgeons in the country, who was brought in as Archer Surgeon, who was the doctor answering these questions. In a time of less shock, more spaciousness, we may have been able to dialogue about the nuances of how a doctor might respond to such a question. But in shock, we just needed a yes or a no, followed by anything hopeful. Let's take a listen. I like to think I am professional and I can talk the the science and the research and all that stuff, but I mean, certainly, you know, I mean, as a human being, I mean, it's just really heartbreaking and tragic. It is heartbreaking. And the challenge, from my perspective, is to be truthful, which, of course, I'm ethically and legally and morally obligated to do, but but to also not extinguish hope. And, I mean, obviously, everyone wants to know, you know, what's going to happen? Is he going to be fine, right? Your question. Is he going to have children again? And, like, there's this kind of, you know, sort of temptation to just give quick answers. But, I mean, the reality is that I, I think that we just don't know. And in that moment, I knew there was more to my question. I recall now each of the faces of my children, each as adults, in the raw and very truthful moment. And I wanted them to know what I knew and to honor it and not ever tarnish it 
and to know how good physical intimacy is and how important it is to cherish and steward. Our surgeon set the level of Archer's injury higher up on the C-spine rather than the lower spine would likely allow him to have children someday. I can't tell you the relief and peace that gave me then and still now. I am sure I was still in shock and that's why his future ability to have a family was all I could think about. I'll never fully know. It's pretty crazy. But family is everything to me. It was true and it's still true. The surgeon continued. As for Archer's arms, we just don't know. We don't know. It's hard to say what will happen from these kinds of injuries. He is a burst. It's like this, he said. Some people break their necks, and it's a fracture. It causes paralysis, but it is very temporary because the vertebra still protects the spinal cord. People regain their arms and hands and even walk again in a short period of time. Archer, well, his kind of break. It's as if someone took a hammer and smashed his spinal cord. Oh my God! That image was almost too much. And I felt almost like my head was not attached to my own body. And he said, so we just don't know. We don't know. And so, yesterday and today in Atlanta, we experienced yet another shock point. What Shepard tells us, they do know. It is time to discharge Archer because he has plateaued. Plateaued. Almost a dirty word. Okay. We will absorb this shock as we have tried to do with the others and move forward. Dear listeners, let's pause. I had to move forward at the time. I had to say we'd absorb the shock and move forward because in reality, it's all we could do. We had no other choice. There was no time to do otherwise. But shocks like that, that take us over the window of tolerance and into the realm of overwhelm, that is the definition of trauma, a shocking experience that causes overwhelm of the central nervous system that we are not able to.
to fully process can create subtle ruptures in our flow and ease of fully experiencing and living life again. We have to work slowly to calm the nervous system so that we can then unlayer and unpack gently or an unexpected healing burst that allow us to integrate those experiences, to metabolize them, and to eliminate that which no longer serves us, and to re-enter life again. More are essential selves than ever before. But it takes time. So for a moment, before we return to the family and friend update, I just want to take a few slow, conscious breaths together. We don't always have the luxury to slow down and to pause, but we do in this moment. It can resource us to be able to allow some space for that which is uncomfortable or painful in our present lives or in our past. As we are all a bit more resourced, a little bit more settled in our bodies, with our pace slowed down ever so slightly, let's return to a previous moment of my shock. You might think of one of your own shocks and its ripple effects on your memory with the flood of emotion that accompanies shock. Here we go, back to the update. Shock. You know, another funny thought just raced through my mind just now as I said that. Well, not really funny, but you know what I mean. I've not really thought about this before, but a mere few hours before that meeting I just told you about with the surgeon in Atlantic City, I had been driving from Cape May back to Baltimore. I mean, ironically, I was already lost on the new Garden State Parkway in New Jersey as they removed in the last year with new construction all the regular exits. And with all the visuals gone, I had flown past our exit and was in the process of winding my way back on rural byways looking for a familiar route back to Baltimore. When I received the call, it was 3.42 p.m., August 5th. (sighs) I must have gone into shock soon thereafter, as I remember now, as I think about it, being very disoriented and not able to find the Garden State Parkway to get. Atlantic City. I recall refreshing my GPS on the iPhone over and over and over again, trying to get to my son. You know how you can refresh when you're on a highway and it sometimes tracks you as if you're on a side road? 
when there are many small roads that abut the highway directly? Well, maybe it's just in southern New Jersey, but there were no signs that matched up with the directions being shown, or that was my experience. And I remember thinking that I might go crazy. I might really lose it. Oh God, I think I'm going crazy. I remember saying that to myself. And I remember saying, this is real. No, yes, this is real. But we'll be all right. Archer will be all right. He'll be all right. But before that, on the call itself, I remember crystal clearly asking the courageous caller, our dear family friend Davis, only two questions, very simply and matter-of-factly. As I entered the call, he had said very slowly, Mrs. Sempt, this is Davis. Archer's had an accident, Mrs. Sempt. He took a swim in the ocean and hit his head on a sandbar. He broke his neck, Miss Sempt. We have him. He's here on the beach. Davis, I said. Is Archer breathing? Yes, Miss Sempt. He is. Davis, is Archer talking? Yes, Miss Sempt. Yes, he is talking. Davis, can you understand him? Is his mind clear? Yes, Mrs. Sempt. He's talking. My son, he's alive. He's conscious. He can talk. That was enough. I kept repeating out loud to myself, my son is alive and he's talking. My son is alive and he's talking. It never crossed my mind when he said, Mrs. Sempt, Archer's had an accident and has broken his neck to ask, Davis, can Archer move his arms? Davis, can Archer move his fingers? Davis, can Archer move his legs? I had no idea what it meant to break your neck like this. No idea. I got on that phone and gave you the worst news you could possibly ever receive in your entire life. So we get him out and he's, he's talking now. He's like coughing up and he's talking. So you don't really know the severity of things. You're like, all right, did he break his arm? Did he get knocked out? What's going on? And I remember him just yelling, I can't feel, I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my arm. An aspect of trauma I now understand more about is how the trauma of one person or one family impacts so many others. 
and how we can learn from each other and take what is of help in another's experience and integrate it for whatever insights we might find in our own experiences. It's another aspect of the significance of revisiting the past. Not to relive it, not to be re-traumatized all over again, but to observe it from a safe distance before we can re-enter it, to loosen any lingering grip it has on our lives now. Trauma healing is constantly unfolding over the years and is a beautiful thing if we allow it to unfold and follow its wisdom so we can live fully again with others as we are designed to do. We're going to go back now to the update. Petey was here this past weekend. I was tidying up and I ran across a little piece of yellow lined paper, like from a small notepad that Pete had given me some weeks ago in the ICU. I asked him what it was. He shook his head and said, Mom, don't you remember this? I did not. It was Pete's handwriting on the little yellow oblong paper. I swear, I'd never seen that yellow piece of paper before. And on it, Pete had printed, Archer injured his neck. We are in Atlantic City Medical. Trauma 2. You drove your car here. The Ford Escape. The incident occurred at 3.30 p.m. The date is August 5th, Wednesday. Archer was working at the beach club and after cleaning kitchen came down to cool off but jumped in shallow water and injured his neck. Your family will be here soon. I read it and said, What is that? And Petey said, Yeah, Mom, that's what I had to write down for you when you arrived at the hospital. You kept asking the same questions over and over. And all you wanted to know was where the chapel was. You kept saying you had to get to a chapel over and over. You tried to get on your knees in the chapel. They had to put you in a wheelchair with a seatbelt. They thought you were having a breakdown. Don't you remember, Mom? I don't. I have no memory of any of that. A shock point I will probably have to go back to to metabolize later. Even back then, I knew I would have to go back.
And yet, even back then, with years of teaching trauma in the context of conflict, I was not able to mentally stop or change the physical experience of the overwhelm and what my brain and body were doing instinctively to protect me. But the knowledge of what it takes to heal trauma propelled me months and years later to reach out for not just therapeutic talk therapy, but also for somatic help to release what I held and what I could not even fully remember. I still rely on my care team. It changes over the years, but largely consists of acupuncture, nutritional response testing, naturopathic medicine, cranial sacral release, homeopathic remedies, KST chiropractic help, academic and experiential courses with other trauma healing experts. And of course, my care team includes the nourishment of good friends and the deeply held sense of never being alone that my faith gives me. Daily Mass and the Eucharist, the arms of Mother Mary, God's presence, knowing there are souls over the veil I can connect with, and all the angels and communion of saints. I have a healing team, and I'm so grateful to have been introduced at a young age to God and His universe. If you don't have a healing team in your life who support you as you ebb and flow and as you meet life as it is so as not to lose yourself, you might consider creating a healing circle of your own so you can feel supported and cared for as you grow. Just by your listening in and joining me in this journey, you are giving me the gift of holding space for my return to this vulnerability. And I hope your listening also provides a reciprocal invitation for you to open space for your own vulnerability as we collectively support each other. You know, your mirror neurons and my mirror neurons and our innate empathic processes to each other, are moving through our bodies right now and our hearts as we think of each other. And those electric impulses vibrate our hearts for greater oneness. It's true. When we pay attention and feel each other with the intention of well-being, we can feel very connected even when we are far away. And yes, just listening in is a part of trauma healing for both of us. Let's go back to the updates. Our sweet, kind, smart, intelligent, athletic, lion-hearted archer. He has not wavered in his number one desire to breathe on his own. 
it is his top priority. It is so very, very critical and oh so powerful. The breath, the ease, the energy, the rest. Let's all breathe. It's never old or worn out to breathe with intention. To breathe with intention together is very powerful, high medicine. It is so good for us. It is so good to breathe together in unity. And even if you catch your breath or hold your breath, it's all okay. You have breath. Focus on your breath. Right now, in this moment. Follow your breath. See? If you can just allow your breath to breathe you. Isn't that nice? It's so good. It's God's gift to us. Breath. Life. Archer's pulmonologist and I have had many a long early AM discussion, more like mornings of discernment, about whether or not to do another surgery to put in two diaphragm pacemakers. Yes, I think I mentioned them to you before. It's true. It's unusual and not done very often, but there is such a thing. DPS, it's called. Archer is a good candidate, they say. Problem is, he has a cardiac pacemaker. A pacemaker sends electrical impulses to the part of the body that has the electrical wires attached to it can't do both. It would be mandatory to turn Archer's cardiac pacemaker off. We reset the parameters and remove the upper parameter if his heart races. This was done a couple weeks ago, bedside, with a computer. Oh, here's a personal journal note about that because I don't think I had a chance to tell you. Personal journal note. I've been having many discussions about the ongoing code blues for Archer. They happen two to three times a week in the dead of the night. I'm worried the staff is fatiguing. They are very stressful. Archer is the only person on the rehab side to whom this occurs. Well, some of the codes are very real regarding his breathing and suctioning and the team races in and we frenetically work hard and Archer works hardest to get those massive, hideous, stubborn plugs of mucus. They're like creatures from the dark lagoon up and out of his lungs. But a number of the codes are false. False alarms 
related to his pacemaker going off when his heart beats too low or slowly. This is very hard on all of us, and it scares me, as none of us can know the difference until they come and check Archer out. The codes are always in the middle of the night. I try to not take my eyes off the monitors all night, but I cannot detect what is false. Except to look at Archer and see the times he's sleeping and not in distress. It also scares me, though, because I don't want it to be like the little boy who cried wolf and Archer's monitors go off and the team thinks it's just a false alarm and then they don't race over anymore. So I've been asking for medical meetings with the pulmonologists and the cardiac doctors and even the cardiac team at Piedmont Hospital. Well, the most incredible thing happened. We've determined that Archer's body has not relied on his pacemaker now for weeks. That's pretty big news. And we have determined that his pacemaker parameters, which were set at Atlanticare on his device, might not be appropriately set any longer. Well, that was big news to me, that a pacemaker has parameters that can be changed. The team from Piedmont told me we could even potentially have the pacemaker removed. But Shepard advised we play it safe and keep the pacemaker, but change the parameters. That sounded right to me. So we set up an appointment with an outside cardiac team from the company for the type of pacemaker Archer has. It was remarkable because Shepard did not know the brand of pacemaker Archer has inserted in his body. There are different brands? Well, I guess so. Atlanticare had not sent all of Archer's medical records. That floored me. It made me mad. We had requested them all. I learned from Shepard that they only had a few of Archer's records sent from that medical records request. But I had my photos that I took against staff's wishes often. But I had a photo of the label of Archer's pacemaker in my phone. I don't know what possessed me to take it, but I have heeded so many whispers that have told me to write everything down. And I have tried. Well, Shepard said that was very helpful but it didn't tell us the parameters. So I texted Dr. Elnahal from Atlanticare, who was the surgeon who implanted the pacemaker. And that kind man texted me back in minutes with the name and serial number of Archer's device, which matched my photo. And he provided the parameters. I was so grateful for that relationship and response. Well, that litmus test of ours was really true. The doctors who were willing to give me their cell phone numbers were the most caring and professional. I never called them unless we really needed help. And this time we did. He was another one of the good guys. Thank you, Dr. Elnahal. Thank you, Lord, 
Well, Archer and I were ready for yet another surgical procedure when this man, dressed in street clothes, came into Archer's room carrying a black briefcase like a plastic box. It was stunning to me as he began turning some dials and it was all like electronic, invisible connections with Archer's body because he never touched Archer or even his clothing. There were two primary dials and he was finished in minutes. He did some testing and closed the box and said he was finished. I'm not kidding. That was it. Archer's pacemaker is now reset to very high parameters. And Archer was never wheeled into the OR or anywhere other than his own hospital bed in the rehab. It was just a bedside thing from an outside tech. So now, he's eligible for the diaphragmatic pacemaker surgery. But I'm not so sure about that surgery. Something, I can't explain it, tells me Archer shouldn't have it. Like maybe he won't need it. That's how I feel about it. Amazing, right? Shepard wants to do this surgery. But if we did the DPS and the cardiac pacemaker were firing at all, and the DPS was firing... They would short each other out. And you get the picture. Oh, here we go again. Archer is complicated. Too sick to continue further rehab at Shepherd. Not sick enough to be in an ICU. A good candidate for DPS. But not if a pacemaker, which no one is willing to remove, might be needed when he's breathing on his own. It's a catch-22. No man's land. Caught. Again. Between systems. But that's not the full extent of the dilemma. It's very hard to say if Archer's diaphragm may, in say another eight months, get enough innervation to work enough on its own to not need a DPS at all. So we could wait and see. And if no improvement, then insert two DPS in his left and right diaphragm. Or do it now for quality of life, but with the risk of life noted above, plus another surgery, plus two more pieces of equipment implanted in his body. It's not simple. While one doctor here thought discharge was simple and Archer could just go home, it was suggested to us to look at an LTAC, which is a long-term acute care hospital. Well, that didn't feel right to me at all. Archer would be in a facility with no rehab, really just a holding place, waiting to see if his lungs and diaphragm would strengthen, waiting for healing, waiting with no rehab? While we have been accepting the agony of slow, incremental steps, going to an LTAC was not what we wanted. 
I mean, that's the crazy thing. Archer is doing remarkably well. But it's the remarkably well, given his issues, that is the conundrum. Archer said he was on the bubble as to whether they thought they would see any more physical improvement with his C4 level, which, I suppose, is more C3 for his diaphragm. The double-bladed sword, though, is that Archer has met goals for his level of injury. We should be celebrating. That sounds like something to celebrate. But in medical rehab speak, it means they've done all they think they can do. At least for now. Plateaued. Plateaued. I don't really like that word. Maybe you can relate to times in your life when someone told you there was nothing more to do or that there was nothing more that could be done or something like that. And it was not what you wanted to hear or what you wanted to believe. Yes, I imagine that may have happened to some of you. Well, I had to look deeper into myself to realize that being told Archer had plateaued when I believe we had so much further to go was also a trigger point for me. I am very goal-oriented, and it was as if that word plateaued and the Shepherd Center were literally standing in our way of progress. And I felt the surge of anger with what I felt were huge power differentials. If Shepard could decide that for Archer, it was not all right. I didn't know how else to have them understand that what we needed was more time, time to heal, not time for their traditional rehab and not time languishing in a hospital bed in an LTAC with no stimulation and no ICU team nearby. And it wasn't that we needed time to go home for the same reasons. Because none of these reasons would have been best for Archer. I had been trying to reframe the definition of rehab for Archer. And why we needed to stay at Shepherd. It meant rest and physical therapy but on his interstitial muscles, electrical stem, muscle strengthening for his chest muscles so they could support his diaphragm, which could then in turn support his lungs. I'd been praying for weeks about this, and I could see it, but I just couldn't make it happen without Shepard. I knew it could happen. I knew it could happen in a really strange way because I felt it, that Archer would breathe on his own. And not because he was in a hospital getting pneumonia and no physical therapy. I believed he would be all right. I believed he would breathe. As I look back, I'll be all right is a mantra I have been telling myself since I was three and a half, and you know why. 
There is a side of trauma that holds incredible resiliency and hope. Where my internalized I'll be all right mantra initially sprung from, I don't know. Likely, the love and safety both of my parents had provided to me up until that point in my life. Or maybe the time I fell and almost lost an eye when I was two. And they told me, you'll be all right, and held me. I'm not sure. Or maybe I've carried that mantra from previous generations in my family bloodline of those who have survived and lived full, wonderful lives. Well, regardless, what I can report is that as a child, I looked for and found loads of evidence in my little world to support the belief that I would be all right. Well, I would long and wish to have my dad back. My mom kept my dad's presence in my life alive by sharing memories of how I look and act just like my dad, which she would tell me regularly with much love in her eyes. And my mom's mom, my grandma, would tell me stories of how charming and kind and smart my dad was and how much I was just like him. And later, when I began my own business, she told me what a good businessman my dad was and that I was just like he, and he'd be so proud. And when I went to church as a little grade school girl, my Catholic faith believed in angels and that when we die, we live on in heaven, united with God. And that really stoked my belief that I would someday be with my dad again. And so everything was all right. And even the popular TV show in the 1970s, Gilligan's Island, became my favorite. Not surprising. But what I liked best was the beginning that the fearless crew was lost at sea and shipwrecked and still alive on a remote tropical island somewhere and could someday be rescued and found. Yes, we all look for evidence of what we want to see and believe. I think it's an important aspect of trauma healing. And I'll tell you why. It's a known scientific fact that our intentions influence everything. For instance, the outcomes of scientific research studies are colored by the bias and belief system of the researcher conducting the research. We look for what we want to find. I don't mind that fact. In fact, I love that fact. I find it powerful and hopeful because we can shape the reality we want to live in by what we choose to believe. Our beliefs can heal us. Our beliefs can bring us great joy. Of course, beliefs can also take us in the direction of limiting us or causing us suffering or causing us to inflict suffering on others. So it does matter greatly 
what we choose to believe. And with daily awareness and even the super awareness experienced in the overwhelm of trauma, we do choose what we believe about our lives. What do you believe? I believed in God's mercy. I believed in prayer. I believed Archer would breathe on his own. But I also doubted that belief. And then the most miraculous thing happened. Personal journal note. I've been in regular communication with Jessica Dibb since we left Atlanta Care. I feel such a spiritual, energetic connection with her. It's funny because we've never spent much time together and we don't regularly talk or meet. But we know each other at what feels like a deep soul level. I can't help but wonder why it happened to be Jessica and her aging father, Saul, whom I spent meaningful time with right before my life changed on August 5th. We did Orans together, and it felt magical as we held our collective arms out to receive what was possible in life. And then the next day, Archer was injured. I just did something that was pretty bold for me and a little out there. I called Jessica again a few weeks ago for her wisdom and inner knowing. I just feel that somehow as a breathwork teacher and founder of the Consciousness School, that she will help me. I'm confused sometimes about my imagination and what might be reality I have to live with. Well, I called Jessica again this week, but this time, I just asked, and I don't even know how I knew to ask this, but I asked her if she would be willing to meditate about Archer, and I asked her if she would tell me what Archer's lungs look like. I really believe she will be able to see inside Archer's body. And she accepted so gracefully, like she knew exactly how to do this. She told me it would take a great deal of focus. And she told me two days ago she would do this for us starting last night. And she asked me to pray for her. Well, I did. I stayed up all night which was standard de rigueur for me watching Archer's monitors and all the glowing lights from the various machines in his room, keeping watch. But I stayed up all night, holding a sort of vigil for Jessica. I prayed the rosary all night long, bedside to Archer in support of what Jessica might see. And I felt an almost feverish intensity about my prayers. Like when Dee Dee and I were praying the rosary together before Archer's delicate sinus surgery and when they discovered his vocal cords were scissored. Well, I chose to pray the luminary mysteries. And I experienced a real sanctity 
in Archer's room, as if it were a holy place, as I watched his chest rise and fall from the machines. But I'm tired now. The morning sun is up, and I wonder if I will ever tell this to even Billy, who might think I have really lost it. But I know he would believe me. We both deeply feel the roots of the mystical church and the saints. Maybe Jessica was guided by the saints. It did sort of cross my mind when I called Jessica to ask her. But I was also a little afraid. I was taught to never do anything remotely close to the occult. I took that seriously, and I still do. I asked myself if I shouldn't call and ask Jessica, and the feeling I got as I checked in with myself was, call her. But when I did, I felt very at ease and happy. And when she said yes, oh, my heart was filled. But we do have to always be on alert for the evil one. The devil is a clever guy. And how does anyone believe in God without also knowing the power of evil? It's why we need so much light in the world. The more intentional we are for good, the greater the light. I look at Archer now and feel he is filled with light. Okay, his body might be very crippled and broken, but I believe he is filled with light. And I want to do all I can so he can turn up his light someday. Personal journal note. I haven't heard yet from Jessica. I will wait. I imagine she's exhausted too. Maybe she didn't get a chance to do the prayer meditation last night. But I feel she did. I'm also so clear that one of the most natural, available, never-ending resources we have is our ability to shift our attention and our hearts with a focus to do God's will, to be aligned with God, the divine source, seeking to be an instrument for the highest good, and to see what emerges. I believe God works in many mysterious ways, and I believe we just have to be open to those who have easier access to his many mystical gifts. When I spoke with Jessica Dibb years later about this, she, too, had a similar shared sense of reverence and connection to the divine that made the work that she did so impactful. Let's hear from Jessica. Yeah, you know, one of the most um, 
intimate and sacred, you know, really precious things about it for me was that you would call with such a place of, I would say, humility and trust and, you know, and you would just say, can you, you would say something along the line, can you connect with Archer and tell me da 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 da. I, my God, you know, I'm never going to forget that. It's like this woman is entrusting me, you know, with her, her son's life and just saying, will you connect, you know, like, and just like, and then I would say these things. I, I cannot tell you what, yeah, privilege, what a, what a just extraordinary um, experience that was for me and how I took it with such reverence, you know, um, and I did my very best to listen, um, you know, to, I will just call it the beloved, you know, God, the divine, the all that is. And I remember the, one of the first requests was, Jessica, you, can you tell me what's going on inside Arthur's mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I remember that. I just had this, I just had this knowing that if we could know what was going on in his lungs, then, I, then the path would be clearer for me. And I knew that you would be someone who could possibly tap into that. So I remember when that, when you gave me that task, and I remember walking on these grounds actually and i was i was literally taken inside of archer's lungs and it's a holy experience for me because i remember describing to you um when we talked i said um archer's lungs are a cathedral yes. because it felt like an you know almost like one of those cathedrals in Europe that where the ceilings, you know, are so high, you know, and the, and the way they're arched. And it was like his lungs were like that, which I was totally shocked by because I was expecting to see, you know, struggling tissue and, you know, um, yeah, tissue that was trying to heal, that was damaged and all that. But instead, what I saw was I saw this sense of cathedral. It was such a turning point for me. I would be patient. I decided to keep these things to myself. Family and Friends Update When I talked with Archer's pulmonologist, Dr. Zadoff, yesterday about whether we should try for more rehab time for his lungs, he appeared deflated. A funny word for a pulmonologist. He said, I saw Archer myself doing the puff vital capacity test. It was not for lack of effort. He was trying very hard. His body is just not there. There was a quality of witness I felt. Witness, you know what I mean where someone doesn't have to agree with or disagree with or even participate, but they are there to witness the truth of something. My poor, lion-hearted boy. 
no matter how hard you might will a rock to move across a table. It isn't happening. Or might it yet? We will have a creative miracle. Pray for a creative miracle. Amen. Sending love. Sometimes, in order to move forward, you have to retrace the steps that brought you to where you are now. Retrace the memories. That was as true in those final days of October 2015 as it is now. Well, back then, I was called towards memory that I needed to write down, process, and share in those moments. As I began to understand both the resiliency of some of the memories, as well as what was underneath others that formed patterns in my life that caused me deep sorrow and that fueled my doubt and held me back. There are many opportunities to disrupt the patterns that cause us pain and suffering, and we don't have to do it all at once. It usually begins with some awareness you have about your own life. Doubling back and retracing my responses to the shock of the news of August 5th, both the initial call in the car and the surgeon's prognosis, allowed me to process that lingering shock and now to gather insights of what happened and how we survived. And now, dear listeners, as we hold precious space for each other, you too might double back in whatever way is necessary for you so that you too can begin to explore them more fully and let them wash over you and through you until you uncover something meaningful and deeper than the original experience. Something that wakes you up and reminds you of who you really are. Our human development and interpersonal growth is not always linear. But the beauty of human time is that it is both cyclical and linear. And we usually go through many cycles as part of our movement forward. The act of going back to retrace is a natural step in trauma integration. And the beauty of God's time is that in a moment, whether linear or circular, we can be healed. For time is both past, present, and now and can be experienced all together in one quantum blink of an eye. As we close, I want to invite you to enter a gentle practice with yourself today. You can try it out right after this episode or save it for a moment when you feel resourced. Maybe after you've had a cup of tea or a quiet moment to yourself and you feel you have the presence to hold space for yourself. (sighs) 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 (sighs)
With this practice, I invite you to let a memory surface. Maybe not the most difficult thing you've experienced, but something that contains a little charge. Either a difficulty, discomfort, or confusion. Something that just enters your quieted mind now. Let yourself open to the memory. Let it speak to your senses, the smells, sounds, temperature of the memory of that happening. Where you were, what you were wearing, what was said, not said, what you did, didn't do. If emotions arise, allow yourself to feel them. If it feels overwhelming, you can stop and let the memory know you will return when you are more resourced. Or you can observe the overwhelm. It is just trying to protect you. Either way, thank the memory for letting you make contact with it today. And as you move through the rest of today, simply notice if anything feels different after spending a moment with that memory. We are creating such a rich and vibrant community together. And those of you who are spinal cord injured, those of you with loved ones who are spinal cord injured, and those of you who are here because of your connection to Archer and our family, and those of you who are on your own healing journey and find the resources and learnings here valuable. We are so blessed to spend this time together and to breathe together. Be well. As always, if you learned something today or had an experience that moved you or brought you insight, please share this episode with a friend. You can subscribe and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Your support means the world and allows us to continue sharing this story and these resources. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. You may tune in for the companion Blink of an Eye Trauma Healing Learning 23. Staying Calm in Crisis, Learnings from an EMT with Rich Holzman. Thank you for listening and thank you for telling your friends about the Blink of an Eye podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, 
or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com. Thank you.